from the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up. If this relief does not pass, it will be because Senate Democrats chose to do Speaker Pelosi's political dirty work rather than stand up for struggling people. That was Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell earlier today on the Senate floor, just prior to the Democrats once again rejecting a coronavirus relief package. What's next? We'll ask Tennessee Senator Marsha Blackburn as she joins us with the latest on the nomination of Judge Amy Coney Barrett. And the Pacific Justice Institute, on behalf of the Family Research Council, has put a tech company on notice. Which one and why? Brad Dacus, president of Pacific Justice Institute, is here with those answers. As we are sprinting toward the November 3rd election, just two weeks away, less than two weeks away, the Trump Department of Education is putting a spotlight once again on the competing policies of the two major political parties. Doreen Denny with Concerned Women for America is here to explain. And what do we know about how conservative Christians are trending in this election? George Barna, president of Metaformation and senior research fellow at the Family Research Council, is here with the results of an enlightening survey of what is called SageCons. What's a SageCon? We'll stick around. We'll talk about it. Tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, Pray, Vote, Stand. Again, less than two weeks from the election. This is about how you are engaged, involved, and how you can make a difference. 8 p.m. Eastern Time, PrayVoteStand.org. You can be a part of it. The website, TonyPerkins.com. And if you happen to be on Twitter or Parler, it is at T. Perkins. All right, earlier this afternoon, Senate Democrats rejected yet another effort by Senate Republicans to pass a coronavirus relief measure. Now, this, this after claiming last week during the confirmation hearing of Judge Barrett that the hearing was keeping them from getting relief to the American people. Now, also, there were reports that Democrats on the Senate Judiciary Committee are planning on boycotting tomorrow's confirmation vote that will take place in the committee. Joining us, joining us now to talk about all of this is U.S. Senator Marsha Blackburn of Tennessee, and she is a member of the Senate Judiciary Committee and an author of a new book that she's going to tell us about as well. Senator, welcome back to the program. I am delighted to be with you. Thank you so much. Uh, let me uh, let me go first to the issue of the coronavirus relief, which was again on the Senate floor, but yet the Democrats blocked it. Yet this was something they brought up last week in the committee during the hearing, saying we should be doing that instead of having a hearing. It is phenomenal. You know, they are saying if you're not going to give us Nancy Pelosi's bill, which her plan is somewhere between $2.2 trillion and $3 trillion and includes a bailout for the blue cities and blue states and includes money, that would be there for marijuana research and sales and just a host of things that have nothing to do with COVID relief. So if you're not going to give them all of that, they want nothing. They would rather use the American people who are suffering as a bargaining chip in order to bail out New York and California and Illinois and cities like San Francisco and L.A. and Chicago and New York City. Yeah, I, I, I want our listeners to understand what is going on here, because this was a targeted relief measure that went. We talked about this yesterday, went to schools. Uh, this was a part of the PPP program, expanding unemployment for those that have lost their jobs as a result of the coronavirus uh, relief or the coronavirus uh, pandemic. But this, uh, that was $500 billion. The Democrats wanted, uh, you know, something uh, upwards of uh, $2 trillion. Massive tax cuts for rich in the blue states. Uh, wheelbarrows of cash uh, for city governments, as you pointed out, that have been mismanaged for decades. And also, we, and this is something I know that you are very concerned about, is in the expansion of the ACA, removing longstanding bipartisan hide protections from taxpayers being forced to fund abortions. That's exactly right. And as I said, their asks have nothing to do with COVID relief. But instead of saying, okay, here are the things that we agree on, and that is another round of PPP for small businesses 
that have just not been able to get their footing through this pandemic. A plus up of $300 per week on unemployment insurance. Indeed, we even had a provision that we do wage replacement. We had money for vaccines, for testing, money for schools. But, Tony, they don't want that. They are dead set on bailing out all of these pensions that have been mismanaged for decades. They're set on bailing out these blue cities that have mismanaged their budgets and have spent beyond their means. So they're saying, we won't pass this where there is agreement. We're going to hold out until you give us everything we want. Well, again, I commend uh, the leader, Mitch McConnell, and the Republicans for uh, holding fast and, and just focusing on addressing the, the problem at hand and not giving way to politics uh, in an election year. So uh, kudos to you and your colleagues. Let's move on, Senator Blackburn, to tomorrow's vote in the committee. You're a part of the Senate Judiciary Committee. You were there last week for the hearings. I thought you did a great job uh, in your questioning. Um, the Democrats on the committee are now, reports are saying that they're going to boycott. Is that surprising to you? No, it is not. And I think that some of the left side of the Democrat Party got very upset last week when Senator Feinstein congratulated Senator Graham on leading in a very bipartisan, fair, and equitable manner. And they didn't like that. And so now what they're going to do tomorrow is try to stall the vote by just not showing up. But the vote is set. It is going to happen at 1 o'clock. We're actually, Tony, we're going to convene at 9 a.m. And that will be the time for comments and for individuals to read into the record their statements. And then precisely at 1 o'clock, we're going to move to holding the vote. So Senator Graham says that, as you just said, that whether the Democrats show up or not, you will vote the nominee out. That's right. We have set the vote. Well, let's talk about this particular vote, because the American public, according to all the polling that I've seen, their support for Amy Coney Barrett has grown after her, I think, stellar performance last week. But you wrote a piece which I want to draw attention to. It's the issue of religious freedom and how, while the while your colleagues in the Senate may have sidestepped this issue ever so slightly and not done a frontal attack on religious freedom, the left, the media, has done it for them. And you wrote a piece, uh, it, I, and I think it's just it's, it's really well done because it brings this to the forefront that if they will attack Amy Coney Barrett for her faith, guess who's next? That's exactly right. They're coming after you. And they are just, they're really projecting where they plan to go with this. They are not happy that a woman of faith who takes her children to church every week is being considered for a federal judgeship. In their mind, being pro-life, pro-family, pro-religion is something that is a disqualifier. It is not something that should elevate you. So what are they doing? They have had their surrogates out there. You know, here's the thing, Tony. They know that it is um, unconstitutional to try to impose a religious liberty test. They know that, fully aware of it. But they just can't get over the fact that here is a woman who would bring a diverse viewpoint to the court. She is a working mom of school-age children. She is pro-life. She is pro-family. She is not part of the clique in Washington, D.C. She didn't go to an Ivy League school. She's a Southern girl that grew up in New Orleans and went to college at Rhodes College in Memphis and then to Notre Dame for law school. And her professors saw something exceptional in her and said, we're going to help you get a clerkship in D.C. She clerked for Judge Silberman 
at the district court, and then she went over to the Supreme Court and clerked for Justice Scalia. But as I told her in my comments, as I wrapped up and closed the hearing for our side of the aisle last week, I said, here's where you messed up. You didn't stay in D.C. You didn't let them verbally beat you into submission to a leftist agenda. What you did was to go back to Notre Dame, uh, become a wife, a mom, a professor, and you bring that range of experience to you now as a federal judge. But, Tony, our friends on the left are choosing intellectual isolation instead of choosing diversity of viewpoint. They don't want you to give them another way to think or another point to consider. They want you to fall in lockstep and be a Stepford wife of liberalism and agree with them on every one of their viewpoints. Don't challenge them. Don't make them think. They want you to be submissive to the viewpoint of the left. They do not want independent free thinkers. Well, there, there's no tolerance for someone who would challenge their uh, their way of thinking or someone that's, that's not right. coming through their pipeline. Now, you, you bring up in your piece uh, something that happened in her last confirmation when she was being confirmed to the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals, and it was the uh, the comment by Senator Dianne Feinstein who did attack her faith. I want to play that clip just to remind our, our listeners what we're talking about. Bobby, play that clip. When you read your speeches, the conclusion one draws is that the dogma lives loudly within you. There was such a backlash to that and to the Kavanaugh hearings that I think that, the, as you pointed out, they were, uh, I wouldn't say on their best behavior, but they were better behaved, but they let the media on the outside, who is a part of the opposition party now in America, attack her over her faith. And, I, and again, I want to underscore your point is if we tolerate this for a justice to the Supreme Court, well, the next faith on the chopping block is that of the American people. Well, that is right, because if you are going to show a commitment to be a woman of faith, to take your children to church every week. That's a disqualifier. If you are going to show a commitment to a community of, a, of believers in their view, that is radical. You know, I just sat there, Tony, and listened to him and kind of chuckled. I so, yep. ch- I so appreciate my Sunday uh, small group and that fellowship that we had. These guys on the left are missing out. Yeah, and we are so grateful you where you are where you are. And I on the way out, the book, The Mind of a Conservative Woman, how's that book doing, Senator? It is doing great. Everybody needs to get one and read it between now and the election. <laughs> All right. We're going to have a link on thanks, our website so. as well. Senator, thanks so much for joining us. We'll be watching closely tomorrow. All right. Coming up next, Brad Dacus with Pacific Justice Institute is here. The Family Research Council, working with Pacific uh, Justice Institute, is putting one of the big tech companies on notice for, well, we'll talk about it next. Don't go away. The rapidly changing moral landscape of the 21st century presents a challenge for Christians committed to biblical sexual ethics. An uprising against morality has overturned centuries of norms concerning the family, marriage, and human sexuality. Secular culture is not the only challenger of Christian sexual ethics. Increasingly, theologically liberal churches and denominations are rejecting the church's historic teaching on marriage. As a result, Christians are facing increasing pressure to compromise the Bible's teaching on human sexuality. How should Christians who are committed to God's Word respond to these challenges? What does the Bible teach about sexuality? Family Research Council has a new publication that presents the biblical principles for human sexuality. It lays out a survey of culture, scripture, and church history that will help pastors and all Christians meet modern-day challenges to biblical sexuality with truth and love. To access this publication, visit frc.org slash humansexuality. 
Masculinity in America has never been under attack the way it is today. We've reached the point where the term itself is considered toxic or offensive to many. The consistent message in our nation is that masculinity by nature is bad and is the root cause of many of the problems plaguing our society. From his experience as a military combat officer and ordained minister of the gospel, Lieutenant General William Boykin has seen and dealt with firsthand the breakdown of leadership in our nation by the lack of godly men living lives of biblical purpose. In his latest book, Man to Man, Rediscovering Masculinity in a Challenging World, he addresses the essential elements of manhood as a provider, an instructor, a defender, a battle buddy, and a chaplain, and explains how to personally develop these traits and pass them to the next generation. Get your copy today of Man to Man, wherever books are sold. Hey, Matt. Hey, Hannah. What's going on? Why so gloomy? Well, I'm a little disappointed. I had a lot planned to do during the stay-at-home time, and I just didn't do it. Oh, yeah? What did you have planned that you didn't get to do? Well, I was actually hoping I would finally be able to get time to do a regular Bible reading routine, and I started a couple of times. I just didn't stick with it. Don't be too down on yourself. Starting a new routine can be hard, but one way to help is to join in with others and to have a good game plan. I think I have a good solution for you. Oh, yeah? Tony Perkins and FRC are doing a two-year study in the Word. They have it all mapped out. When did they start? I, I would be so far behind. Oh, that's not a problem. You can literally jump in any time. There's a daily reading just a couple of chapters a day with questions to help you think about what you're reading. Nice. Where can I find this? Go to frc.org slash Bible and you can get started. Where's that again? frc.org slash Bible. Got it. Checking it out now. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Let me remind you again, tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, Pray, Vote, Stand. PrayVoteStand.org. It is uh, our election preparation programming. 30 minutes, give you the tools to help your friends be prepared for November the 3rd. I hope you are praying. I hope you are planning to vote, if you haven't already. And you will continue to stand. And speaking of standing, you know, from classrooms to debate stages to big tech platforms, the left bias is driving this effort to silence conservative voices. I mean, we've seen it. I mean, you saw what Twitter did, you know, when uh, the New York Post broke the story of uh, Hunter Biden's hard drive and the emails that were on it. I mean, you've seen it uh, pulling down the the, uh, the Trump campaign. I mean, just I, I would venture to say there's probably not a person listening here that has not heard of or had someone they know had their website or I mean their uh, Facebook or Twitter taken down because they said something conservative. Well, it's gone beyond just the big platforms to the other tech platforms. At the beginning of our pray vote stand initiative back in the second week after the first week when we had a very successful week, the Family Research Council was using a texting platform to alert people, some 100,000 people, to to watch. Well, the second week, one hour before the program, we were notified that we were no longer, we no longer had a texting platform. The company canceled our contract after three years. The reason? Well, that's why we're working with Pacific Justice uh, Institute. Brad Dacus, the president, is on the line with me. Brad, welcome to Washington Watch. Well, great to have the program, Tony. So, Brad, the reason we contacted you, we work with you, you guys do stellar work when it comes to religious freedom protection. As a religious organization, it appears that um, Mobile Calls, who was our texting platform, pulled the plug on us because of our biblical view of human sexuality. Yes, yeah, so they decided to use uh, Southern Poverty Law Center, a very extremist leftist. Uh, hate group, if you will, uh, organization that has uh, labeled 
many hundreds of, of uh, Christian ministries as hate groups. Uh, in fact, 940 organizations, in fact, are on the list of hate groups. Many of those are, are Christian ministries. Uh, your organization has been labeled that way uh, because of your beliefs on, on what the Bible says, God's Word. Uh, so as our organization, Pacific Justice Institute, as well as uh, you know, Dr. Ben Carson, Dr. James Dobson, so many have been attacked. Well, anyway, they decided to use Southern Poverty Law Center's label uh, to, as a basis to discriminate and deny services to FRC. And we at the Pacific Justice Institute, uh, upon your request, jumped on this and have sent a demand letter uh, to this company uh, demanding that they cease and desist from such discrimination, which, uh, by our legal analysis, is a clear violation of California's Unruh Civil Rights Act, uh, Cal Civ Code Section 51 and 52A. You know, what's interesting is that uh, despite California's all of their uh, craziness out there and their hostility toward faith, actually in the law, they actually have pretty good protection for religious organizations. Well, they certainly do. In fact, it explicitly says that all persons uh, within the jurisdiction of this of California are free and equal. And no matter what their religion uh, are entitled to the full and equal accommodations, advantages, facilities, privileges, or services in all business establishments of every kind whatsoever, end quote. So uh, it's strong language. It, it shows that uh, this company, uh, you know, they violated that, that, that very clearly. Uh, we sent a very strong demand letter pointing it out point blank and uh, making it very clear that if uh, they did not cease and desist, uh, that uh, that we would be willing to represent FRC uh, and uh, file a lawsuit on your behalf. Uh, that's and we, of course we would do that without charge. Uh, we at Pacific Justice Institute uh, never charge for work, but we strongly believe in uh, Family Research Council and all that you're doing to serve so many, uh, especially churches and, and others throughout the United States. Uh, this is one of the, the uh, it's a privilege and honor to have that opportunity to represent. Uh, your uh, your organization. And we're willing to, 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 to file this lawsuit and take this as, as far as we need to in terms of uh, damages, et cetera, uh, all the way to the Supreme Court if necessary, if that's, if that's necessary and if that's what uh, FRC, uh, as our client, chooses uh, for us to do. Well, Brad, we, we appreciate you and Pacific Justice Institute and the work that you do on behalf of religious freedom. And that's what I want to underscore here. What we're, we're not, we don't want to demand the company work with us. Uh, they don't want to work with us. That's fine. But they can't deny um, organizations that are Christian organizations that believe in biblical truth. And so what our demand is, is they quit using the Southern Poverty Law Center because we don't want other Christian organizations to face the same type of treatment from whether it's mobile calls or some other high-tech um, entity. Because, I mean, we were relying on them to get out our information, and then all of a sudden they pulled the plug on us. And again, because of our faith and our beliefs, a, a belief about human sexuality that's biblically based, and this uh, labeling, as you said, from the Southern Poverty Law Center. So it's we've got to use the courts, Brad, to defend our religious freedom, do we not? Well, we, we definitely do. And, and I, I just also want to point out the, the, the high ground that FRC has taken and that, like you said, you're not even out to, to force them, uh, you know, to have you as a client. You just want to make sure they cease and desist this kind of bigotry and discrimination. In fact, you know, in our, in our demand, we made it very clear that uh, we want uh, them to agree in writing uh, to henceforth cease reliance on SPLC's hate classification labeling in any way for any purpose. And that's a noble goal and something that uh, we should all expect from people in business. Well, again, we appreciate you, Brad, and the Pacific Justice Institute for, uh, for helping us on this and, and upholding and defending religious freedom in our country. Thanks so much for joining us this afternoon as well. Thank you, Tony. My pleasure. All right, folks, uh, you can find out more about that. Go to TonyPerkins.com. But coming up next... Another example of the difference between the two major political parties and the policies that they would push. This one coming from the Department of Education under the Trump administration. Um, another very good development. Doreen Denny, Vice President of Government Relations for Concerned Women for America, is here to explain. Don't go away.
Oh, man. What's wrong? I just missed Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, and our congressman was going to be on the show today. Oh, that's not a big deal. What do you mean? Well, you can always catch the replay of the day's show. How's that? With the Stand Firm app. Yeah? Yep, you can catch that day's program and so much more. You can contact your elected officials on campaigns and policies that are important to you with the Take Action tab. You can listen to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins live and play previous episodes while conveniently going about your day. You can access the Washington Update, informative blogs, tweets, and critical campaigns on the main feed so you can stay up to date on local and national news. Wow, I definitely use that. How do you find the app? Just visit frc.org slash app and download or search Stand Firm in the App Store. Okay, that's Stand Firm. Yep, Stand Firm. How do you know all this? Because I'm a SageCon, but that's another story. Huh? In this important season for our nation, it is imperative for Christians to pray. While we have a responsibility to vote for biblical values and stand for truth, our priority should always be to seek the Lord first. Each week until the election, FRC and FRC Action will host a special Pray, Vote, Stand broadcast to equip you to pray, vote, and stand for biblical truth. We'll have experts, elected leaders, and Christian leaders join us for these half-hour programs that will help you see through the fog that's been created by the biased lenses of the mainstream media. While you're there, be sure to take the 2020 Pray, Vote, Stand Challenge and make a commitment to pray for our nation, vote biblical values, and stand for truth during this 2020 election season. To watch the broadcasts and to take the 2020 Pray, Vote, Stand Challenge, visit PrayVoteStand.org. That's PrayVoteStand.org. I'm Tony Perkins, and this is Washington Watch, and I invite you to join us tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, for Pray, Vote, Stand. PrayVoteStand.org is where you can... uh, where you can find us. All right, in a major victory for women's sports, Franklin Pierce University has been forced by the Trump administration to rescind its transgender sports policy. Now, last year, Franklin Pierce student-athlete CeCe Telfer became a D2 national champion in track and field after competing in women's sprinting events. Unfortunately for Telfer's competition, she is a transgender athlete was born a man and still maintains those physical advantages. In fact, was a mediocre male sprinter until he decided to become a woman sprinter. You know, I should have thought of that back when I was in track. Uh, Like many others, concerned women for America want to see the integrity of women's sports maintained. So they filed a formal complaint with the Department of Education's Office of Civil Rights, and now a year later are seeing results. Joining me to talk about the details of this story and the impact this will have on women's sports is Vice President of Government Relations for Concerned Women for America, Doreen Denny. Doreen, welcome to Washington Watch. Thank you so much, Tony. So uh, obviously you were pleased with the actions on behalf of uh, from the Department of Education uh, on behalf of your request. Absolutely. You know, this is really the first victory for college female athletes that are being forced to compete on an unfair playing field against males that are claiming transgender status and competing in women's sports. And as you mentioned about the situation with Franklin Pierce University, that case really punctuated for us the threat uh, about the future of women's sports and really the demoralizing situation that female athletes are facing right now on the playing field. You know, this was a uh, policy that got started in the, by the NCAA in 2011 and then was uh, really amplified by the Obama-Biden administration when they uh, told all schools now that, that students could identify themselves based on gender identity and not sex, and that would also uh, be extended to sports uh, activities. Now, many people were concerned after this uh, past summer's court decision in Bostock the application of uh, Title VII, where um, we, we're talking about um, men and women, um, you know, th- that, you know, you, th- that sex included gendered, you know, whatever gender you wanted to be, that this 
as in terms of its employment application, might be applied here to sports. But uh, the, the, the administration making very clear that's not the case. That's exactly right. And that's what's so significant about this ruling, because they are making a very de- declarative statement that Title IX has always been about biological sex. That was the title, this Title IX of, uh, that was enacted in 1972 ensured that there would be no sex discrimination in ed- educational programs and activities that included sports. And so by reaffirming that in this case, uh, they are making a very clear statement that needs to be heard across America that, again, Title IX sex discrimination does not allow for females to be discriminated against as athletes. But some of these educational institutions are are actually not in favor of, you know, this clear line of distinction between the genders in sports, which is it's kind of baffling to me because Franklin Pierce University actually was not happy about the Department of Education's announcement. Uh, they weren't happy. Uh, they they did comply with it. I think that they realized that the jeopardy that they could be under if they had to forego federal financial assistance, like most colleges and universities would also be. But I think it's important for us to recognize here that we need to stand by the federal civil rights law that doesn't allow for discrimination based on sex. That has always been based on biology, and it needs to continue to be, especially in this context. Males have physiological advantages that really start in the womb. And the fact that the athletes that are winning and, you know, national titles have previously competed on, on, the, on the team that, that does identify or, or is consistent with their biological sex just shows you that women are automatically at a disadvantage in these circumstances. And we really shouldn't have that. You know, the fact that women feel defeated before they even start the race, that, that's just demoralizing, and it's unfortunate. And our organization really got started with this when we had a mother call us and with a situation like this in Georgia and said, no, my daughter said, Mom, if this is going to be the way, if this is the way it is, what's the point? We right, can't we, have that. I mean, we're talking about uh, you know championships. We're talking about scholarships, all of that being um, you know, affected by men, uh, you know, saying they're transgender and competing in women's sports. Uh, Final question for you, uh, Doreen. This is one of those issues that the upcoming election could could have a significant impact upon. That's right, because, you know, we already know that Joe Biden has um, promised to reinstate the Obama-Biden policy uh, in the first day in office if he takes office. So we're concerned about that. That's why having this ruling on the books, having the analysis of the Department of Education is so critical here. Again, our issue is with the institutions. This is institutionalizing a new kind of sex discrimination that we need to say no to. Um, you know, the athletes are playing by the rules, but the rules are bad. And so we need to change that. The NCAA needs to hear this clearly and change their policy as well. Well, Doreen, we appreciate uh, Concerned Women for America uh, staying on this and um encouraging the administration to take the actions that they did. So, Doreen, uh, Denny, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Tony. Again, folks, just another example of the, the, the sharp contrast between the two major parties and the policies that they would push. Here's an administration not just talking about it, but actually doing it. Of course, the other, if they, we have a high uh, Harris-Biden administration, they're going to push it the opposite direction. I guarantee you. All right, so what are conservative Christians doing and thinking about the upcoming election? George Barna is here for that conversation next. Don't go away. Are you looking to grow closer in your relationship with Jesus Christ and in your knowledge of God's Word? Family Research Council has a three-part series titled Three Ways to Read the Bible. This series shares helpful ways to be encouraged and directed by God's truth by observing the text of the Bible and applying it to your life. There is no better time than now to get to know God through His Word by looking into the Bible to see what it says about itself, God, and humanity. There's no better time than now to begin devoting time to the Lord and to seek out His meaning for you. This blog series is a great primer on opening your eyes and heart to Him through the Bible amid the toils and troubles of today. 
Check out this helpful resource and learn how to read the Bible with not just your eyes, but with your heart and mind as well. To learn more, visit frcblog.com slash ways to read. That's frcblog.com slash ways to read. Since the 1973 Roe v. Wade Supreme Court decision, Congress and many states have taken various actions to stop taxpayer dollars from funding abortions or the abortion industry. As early as 1976, Congressman Henry Hyde led the effort to ban federal funding for abortions. The federal Hyde Amendment, named after him, established the principle that abortion is not health care and therefore taxpayers should not be forced to fund abortions. Despite these efforts, the abortion industry still receives millions of dollars each year in taxpayer money. In 2019, Planned Parenthood, America's largest abortion provider, received $616.8 million in government funds. Family Research Council's newly updated pro-life map tracks how your state has taken action to stop taxpayer funding of abortions. Go to frc.org slash pro-life maps to see where your state stands in the fight for life. That's frc.org slash pro-life maps. The rapidly changing moral landscape of the 21st century presents a challenge for Christians committed to biblical sexual ethics. An uprising against morality has overturned centuries of norms concerning the family, marriage, and human sexuality. Secular culture is not the only challenger of Christian sexual ethics. Increasingly, theologically liberal churches and denominations are rejecting the church's historic teaching on marriage. As a result, Christians are facing increasing pressure to compromise the Bible's teaching on human sexuality. How should Christians who are committed to God's Word respond to these challenges? What does the Bible teach about sexuality? Family Research Council has a new publication that presents the biblical principles for human sexuality. It lays out a survey of culture, scripture, and church history that will help pastors and all Christians meet modern-day challenges to biblical sexuality with truth and love. To access this publication, visit frc.org slash human sexuality. Tony Perkins, and this is Washington Watch, the website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, the 2020 election is less than two weeks away, and it uh, is one of the most, uh, I think will be one of the most significant election in American history. You know, and as the parties move farther and farther apart, their policies become, provide such a clear contrast. I mean, they could not be more clear in terms of the options that people have. In fact, as we were just talking about in the previous segment about this whole thing with transgenderism, we're going to actually talk about that tonight at our uh, on our Pray, Vote, Stand broadcast. That's at 8 p.m. Eastern time. A couple of experts are going to be talking about that, so tune in, 8 p.m. Eastern, PrayVoteStand.org. Now, you know, evangelical voters, Christian voters, need to be prepared, need to be informed, they need to be engaged, and they need to be voting. And by and large, they vote uh, more regularly and with uh, greater consistency than most. But what trends are we seeing as we're less than two weeks from the election? Joining me now to talk about this, George Barna, president of Metaformation Incorporated. He also serves as senior fellow Research Fellow at the Center for Christian Ethics and Biblical Worldview here at the Family Research Council and is also the Director of Research at the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University. George, welcome back to the program. Tony, good to be with you again. Okay, let's uh, let, let's start with a few definitions because uh, we're going to talk about sage cons. And so explain to our listeners once again what a sage con is. Yeah, it's an acronym for Spiritually Active, Governance-Engaged, Conservative Christians. And what that essentially means is that these are people whose lives are defined by and driven by their faith. And as a result of that, they understand that they have a biblical responsibility to try to have influence in every dimension of life that they can. And so that would include politics and government whether it's through voting, whether it's through discussions with other people, whether it's through activism, they have to take their biblical principles 
the, the understanding that they have of how life works and what they've been called to do and to be as a Christian into that political and government domain. And so these are individuals who consistently vote. They vote based upon biblical principles because it's their faith that defines and drives their life. And so it's a, it's a group that not many people pay attention to. They're roughly 8 to 10 percent of the population. But uh, as we know, in the last election, they had a huge impact on the outcome of that election. Well, if I can say something controversial, George, I think every follower of Jesus should fall into that category. <laughs> and the sad thing about that statement, Tony, is that that might be controversial. Of course we should. Yeah. Um, the reality, though, is that even when we look at churches, the fact that they're not teaching or preaching on uh, understanding today's issues from a biblical vantage point, they're not encouraging their people to recognize their responsibility, both as a citizen of the United States and a citizen of heaven, to be voting and to be discussing these things and to be defending biblical principles. Yeah, we're all called to do that, but it, sadly it's not happening as often as it needs to. When you combine the, the sage cons with the almost sage cons, those are adults who meet uh, you know, three-quarters of the qualifications to be a sage con. They, they get a C, a good solid C. Um, we're talking about almost 20% of the population, so it's a pretty good chunk of the voting population. It is, and you know when you look at how much energy and effort and resources is devoted by campaigns and parties and, and various other entities into trying to move a group like the gay constituency, three, maybe four percent of the population, uh, you know the uh, African American constituency, twelve percent of the population. This is a group that's bigger than some of those that get a lot of attention and a lot of resources. So it just gives you a sense of how significant they are in, in the big picture. And you have found in your research that this block of vote is more unified than any other constituency in the country. Yeah, you know, in our research, I regularly am looking at a little bit more than 80 different subgroups of the population. You know, whether we're looking at it by gender, by age, by region, by political activity, by faith. I mean, all these different ways of slicing and dicing the population. And as I look at all of those, what I have found is that sage cons are the most united in terms of not only what they believe, but how they behave. And that's really where the rubber meets the road. We do what we believe. That's why worldview is so important. But the way that we know that you really believe something is whether or not you're doing what you claim you believe. And this is a group that's been pretty consistent in that domain. Uh, they do what they believe, and they do it to a much larger extent than any other segment that I take a look at. Okay, so let's talk about a couple of those things. First, I want to, what, what are the top three issues for SAGECONs in terms of their motivation, interest in this election? Well, right now, when we ask them what's going to influence the way they vote the most, the three issues that come out on top are abortion, religious freedom, and federal court appointments and nominations. And we find that, you know, that's very similar to what we had in the last election. Uh, so, again, the perspectives of these folks aren't changing very much because they're driven by the same biblical principles. Where you see issues changing all the time is with people who don't have any kind of solid worldview foundation. They're driven by their emotions instead. And so we don't have that kind of upheaval with stage cons. So they have a they have a, a worldview that is transcendent. It doesn't change with time, with political uh, administrations, or with cultural trends. It is uh, it, it is set, and therefore those uh, those remain fairly consistent. So let's talk about you talk about where the rubber meets the road um, in terms of they believe something, but then they act upon it. What are you projecting to be the turnout in the election of SageCons? Well, based on this study that we just completed, I mean, we're looking at uh, above 90% turnout. We had that in the last election with SageCons. In 2016, it was 90% turnout. We're projecting that the turnout with SageCons will be even higher 
in this election. In the last election, they were troubled by both candidates, didn't trust either one of them really, but knew that they had to make a choice. So they turned out and they made the best choice they could based on what they knew about them. This election, of course, they know an awful lot more about Mr. Trump. They're much more comfortable with him. And so, yeah, we're, we're expecting a very, very high turnout. Again, I'm expecting Sage Times to have the highest turnout of any voting segment in the population. So, George Barner, let's talk then about the almost Sage Cons that they're, they're going to be voting maybe a, a, maybe a little bit less. Maybe they're not as informed or convinced yet. Is, is that what your research found? Yeah, essentially, this is a group that isn't quite where stagecons are, either in terms of their uh, political motivations or their spiritual life. But they're they're close. I mean, they're certainly different than the rest of the population. And so as they're looking at this election, they hold views that are similar to those of the stagecons. And so, again, they are, for a, to a great extent, leaning toward Mr. Trump, very few of them are convinced that Mr. Biden would be a better choice. The issue here, as I see it, for the almost sage cons, and again, they're a significant group. You know, they're probably one out of every eight, one out of every seven voters in the country, uh, is that they don't know as much about what Mr. Trump has actually accomplished in the last four years. So while they like many things about him, while they share that conservative perspective, about what ought to be done with government and with various issues, they're not nearly as well-informed about what has happened through the Trump administration, and that seems to be what's holding them back from being uh, more excited about voting in this election and voting for Mr. Trump. And that's probably in large part due to the fact that the media, the mainstream media, has not reported on the many things he has done, knowing that that is a promise kept uh, to the the folks that voted for him, like all, all the life issue issues that uh, he has addressed, the religious freedom issues, um, so much that he has done that he had promised he was going to do, and you know the media has no motivation to report that. That's why I think it's so important that those sage cons who are informed and engaged and have that knowledge and understanding share that with their friends, their family, who may not be the same place they are in terms of engagement. Is, do you find that, uh, and I know this was not part of our research, so I'm asking you a question that I don't know the answer to, uh, but I'm assuming that you do, because you know all the answers there, George. The... <laughs> The, the, the sage cons, are they perceived to be influencers by the almost sage cons? Uh, not necessarily. I mean, one of the interesting things about this whole sage con, almost sage con, not nearly a sage con, you know, kind of development or segmentation is that there's not really a community that's been established within the sage con world. And there certainly is not one among the almost sage cons. And so there isn't that kind of cross-pollination, that kind of mentoring, if you will, that could even take place between sage cons and almost sage cons. We would hope that, you know, perhaps uh, Christian churches would facilitate these kinds of conversations. But actually, uh, as you know, Tony, because I've talked about it before, one of the things we found in the last election is that uh, conservative Christians across the country were the people least likely to be talking about the issues with the people that they know and the people that they could have influence on. And the reason they weren't having those kind of conversations was they said, I'm not sure what the Bible teaches on these things. They go to churches where their pastors are not teaching about the issues. We've got research that shows that conservative Christians are dying to have their pastors, their churches, their mentors show them and teach them how to think biblically about the issues. They don't want to misrepresent God, and they don't want to get into arguments where they're going to look like idiots because they don't know what to say, so they remain silent. And that's a real problem. It is a real problem, and it is something that the pulpits need to address, and it is uh, something that 
other Christians need to be bold and begin to equip themselves with the knowledge so that they can speak. And that's obviously something we do at the Family Research Council and something we're doing with you as we build out our Christian worldview uh, initiative. One final question for you, uh, George Barna. Did you uncover any hidden vote where the polls might not be picking up Trump voters? Yeah, actually, you know, I say this as a guy who's been doing polling for more than 40 years and has worked in various presidential campaigns doing that. I think that this time around, there's a lot of funny business going on with the polling. I think that there's probably somewhere between at least a four to eight percentage point hidden Trump vote, if you will, for a variety of reasons we don't have time to get into. But uh, I'm not uh, too wedded to the kinds of numbers that were being fed by the mainstream media uh, based on their media polling, I think that things are actually quite different. I think the other thing that's also going to change uh, what happens in the election is whether or not the people who vote get their votes counted. So you put those two things together, and I think we've got to be really cautious and really on top of what's going on with this election. Yeah, I think you are absolutely correct. George Barna, as always, it's uh, it's always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for joining us today on Washington Watch. Thank you, Tony. George Barna, to find out more, go to TonyPerkins.com. And, um, okay, he made some really good points. I want to unpack them on our way out today. Number one, about your vote being counted. If you can vote in person, do so. Early vote. I'm going to be early voting this week. Uh, You can early vote. Do that if you can't or vote in person on Election Day. But try to maintain custody over your vote as much as possible. And here's the big one. Be an influencer. All right. As a uh, most doubted. I mean, I would wager to say uh, I would venture to say, I should say that most of you listening are in the category of sage cons or almost sage cons, or you wouldn't be listening. Use your influence with your family and friends. That's one of the reasons we put together so many resources for you. In particular, the accomplishments of this administration that George just said, uh, almost 20% of almost sage cons are undecided because they're just not aware of everything that has been done. I will send this to you, and you can use it in social media. You can text it. You can email it. You can send it to your friends. It's a list of all of the actions taken by this administration. Text the word ACTIONS to 53445. 53445. Text the word ACTIONS. I'll send this to you, and you can send it around and share it with your friends. Do your part to inform Christians as to their need to vote in this election. Inform them. Be a part. And join us tonight for PrayVoteStand.org at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Folks, out of time, I want to thank you for joining us. As always, great to talk with you. And uh, check out the website, TonyPerkins.com. Lots of resources there for you, as well as PrayVoteStand.org. Lots of resources there for you as well. Use them. They're for you. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.